Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Circle shoots, tip, they score! Brock Besser! Maybe the last three, four games, the bench would have been a little different, a little bit of frustration, slamming sticks and stuff like that. I didn't see that today. You've got too far! There's too much to lose! You've got to keep our composure! And look at Olivier send Rempy down! Wow! Stop pummeling me! It's really painful! Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bradford. It's Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning and welcome back, buddy. Thank you. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning and welcome back as well. Oh, thank you, Adog. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Yeah, good. That's don't, all I got for you. <laughs> Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today we are in Hour 1 of the program. Hour 1 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech, that's what. Hey, have you got a sore foot? Uh, I do, as a matter of fact. I got surgery on my on my leg. I, got, I had torn Achilles, so uh, that was why I was out last week. Thank you to well, virtually nobody that reached out. That was nice. Um, no, I'm just kidding. you guys, have been downplaying well, it as you, a lower body injury. The and you didn't body. tell anybody too. Like I know, I kept you gotta it, you yeah. gotta like really elicit that sympathy, man. No, I don't want to just go. No. I mean, it's 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 a big thing. I'm not big into tragedy porn. I like keeping things to myself. You were in a lot of pain though. Uh, yeah, it was, it was painful, but it's okay. I'm better now. And I'm excited to be back because as far as I understand it, the Canucks are fine. Like nothing went bad. <laughs> Pity's <laughs> underrated, man. All I'm saying is you got to milk the pity. Nothing yeah. went bad. Everything yeah. is good. Last time I worked, they were I've winning. I've been in a game. fog of painkillers for the last week. What? What? Did they win? Really Did they lose? Yeah. Who's they say? They've, won I, the, they've won the last five straight. When I stopped working, they were winning <laughs> hockey games. And now that I'm working again, they were winning more hockey games. So, so you're not allowed to take any more time off. I'm excited to saying. get back. I think I should. No. I'm excited to get back. I'm excited to get back in the saddle. Let's put it that way. Uh, our guest list today begins... At 6.30, David Amber, Sportsnet, Hockey Night Canada NHL host is going to join us. Uh, we will talk about the Vancouver Canucks. I actually tried to put together a list of the biggest wins of the season for the Vancouver Canucks. Because mm-hmm. there's been a lot of them, a lot to choose from. We've been playing the Detroit fan blogger off the hook this year. And I was, because one of the questions I want to ask David is, you know, watching from afar, where does that rank in terms of the biggest, most important victories of the Canucks this year? And that one against Boston on Saturday. What a game. Fantastic game. Uh, is right up there, so we'll talk to David Amber about that at 6.30. 7.30, our man Thunder Dan Rosen from NHL.com is going to join us. Uh, we'll do some more Eastern stuff, Eastern promises with Dan. We'll look at uh, this story out of New York with the Rangers and Matt Rempe, where it went from being in the span of one weekend, like, oh, this is awesome, he's the best gladiator ever, to is this safe? That's kind of how the conversation yeah. went in the span of 48 hours. I so. had a few texts in, uh, from my buddies and most of them are pretty old school in their mm-hmm. hockey. Like yeah. they, they're like, "Yeah, I'm okay with fighting." And then even those guys were like, 
Uh, do they still have concussion spotters in the NHL? It's a lot to take in, right? When you fight every single guy that wants to fight you. So we'll talk to Dan Rosen about that. We'll talk about the Penguins going into the trade deadline. Uh, what's going on with the New Jersey Devils? That seems like they're in disarray. We'll do some Canucks talk with him as well. Eight o'clock, Randy Janda is going to join us. He is the Canucks color commentator for Sportsnet 650 alongside Brendan Batchelor. We'll go back to Saturday's win in overtime over the Bruins to snap the Canucks four-game losing streak. Uh, we're also giving away a pair of tickets today to see the Canucks and the Kings on Thursday, February 29th at Rogers Arena. If you would like to win those tickets, if you'd like the chance, the opportunity to win those tickets, uh, send in what we learned. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Uh, make it a good what we learned. Tell us what did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports. Hashtag it WWL and put a ticket emoji into your text to be entered into the grand prize contest. Note the word, contest, for a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Kings Thursday. Is that the first time they play the Kings this year? God, it must be, right? I think it is, I yeah. Think, isn't it, is. it right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've, got, they've got four left against the What's Kings. The schedule, man? they got a bunch of games left against the Golden Knights as well, because they've yeah. only faced them once or twice. They've got a very tough schedule to finish overall. The only easy part of it is it becomes very home-heavy. Right, that na- the nine-game stretch and, is coming up a little and bit. And I don't think they have to go back to the Eastern time zone. So working in reverse on the guest list, 8 o'clock, it's Randy Janda, 7.30, it's Dan Rosen, 6.30, it's David Amber. That's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Brock Besser scored his second goal of the game in overtime on the power play. And the Vancouver Canucks snapped their four-game losing streak and rallied from a two-goal third-period deficit to beat the Bruins 3-2 at Rogers Arena on Saturday afternoon. Here's what it sounded like, courtesy of our man. Brendan Batchelor. Elias Pedersen to the Boston line on left wing. Drops to JT Miller. Try to rink wide pass. Bounced off coil, but comes to Besser right wing. He rims it around the zone to Miller on the left wing wall. Now back to Hughes with room. Top of the point to Miller. Left circle. Shoots. Tip. They score. Brock Besser. The losing streak is over. The Canucks come all the way back. Against the top team in the East. Three unanswered goals. Two of them off the stick of Brock Besser. And Vancouver wins it 3-2 to two tonight at Rogers Arena. Awesome so, game. Awesome game. Yeah. Awesome game. So awesome I, game. I, I actually showed up and went to the game. I was on press row. and I you, was, were, you were working media. Yeah, I was. Although I didn't go into the room or interview anyone after I left. And I was so excited. And I tried to get out of there so quickly that I forgot my glasses on press row. Oh, so um, if anyone's seen those, please I grab them. I can't let them know I forgot my glasses. <laughs> yeah. Not me. The man who wrote the Paris piece of cords. <laughs> Bruff wrote those? Jason Bruff? Uh, I, I looked for two-thirds of the game like the Bruins were just going to choke the life out of the Canucks. Um, I don't think anyone was watching the game and going, oh, the Canucks are playing terribly again. This is another another performance like the one in Seattle. The effort was there. Um, they definitely brought the physicality early with some big hits by Juleson, 
Zadorov and, and Miller, who was going after Brad Marchand, which everyone liked to see. And they were pre- playing pretty well defensively, despite falling behind 2 nothing. Uh, that being said, they really weren't creating enough offensively, and they weren't making it hard enough on Swayman, who looked totally dialed in. So this was the situation heading into the third period. Canucks were one period away from their fifth straight loss. One period away from being shut out by the Bruins for the second time this month. Yeah, it would have been an improvement on their performance in the Seattle game. But I'm not sure that everyone would have been satisfied with that. I'm not sure everyone would have been satisfied with a moral victory. And fortunately, we didn't have to go down that road because the Canucks played maybe their best and most important period of the season in that third period. They totally took the game over, outscoring a perhaps tired Bruins team, or sorry, out shooting a perhaps tired Bruins team, 17 to 5, and most importantly, outscoring them 2 to nothing. Brock Besser put the Canucks on the board at 12.49, so they, they waited a while into that third period. After JT Miller won a drawback to Nikita Zadorov. Now, apparently this was a set play where Besser was supposed to back up into a soft spot kind of outside the slot. Mm-hmm. And Zadorov fed it to him, and Besser finished it. And it all started with Miller winning the draw cleanly. And instead of just flinging it on net from the point, the Canucks created a passing lane and took advantage of it. Zadorov was real good on Saturday. He was. Real good. Yeah, yeah we can talk about him later. Um, of course, the Canucks still needed another goal to tie the game. And they got it late with the goalie pulled. Once again, they had to create a good shooting opportunity. And once again, Miller played a big role, patiently waiting to feed Hronik at the point for a quick shot. After Hronik had skated backwards, and this was key, created that shooting lane for himself while Besser screened Swayman in front of the net. Uh, Up to that point, Hronik had not had a particularly good game. And frankly, I think for the last few games, his game has been trending in... uh, a wrong direction, and I know he took a lot of criticism when um, Rick Tockett put him out on the point in the power play and um, during the Seattle game, I guess. Mm-hmm. He just like didn't look like a fit, and people were starting to criticize Ronick a little bit. And he had also, earlier in the game, got caught a little flat-footed on the Bruins' opening goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had also missed the net with a good scoring chance in the third, wherein you're just kind of like, man, you got to at least hit the net if you get a chance. So he might have needed that goal just as much as the Canucks had. Um, and it was great to see Besser on the screen. It was great to see that puck go in. That was an awesome moment at Rogers Arena. Uh, Now, the Canucks hadn't won the game yet. They needed overtime to do that and were granted a prime opportunity to do it when the Bruins got caught with too many men on the ice. Mm -hmm. Out-trotted Pedersen, who'd made the pass up the ice that caught the bees with too many men, along with Miller, Hughes, and Besser, and it did not take them long for them to bury the Bruins. We already played the audio. Uh, For the third time in the game, it was Miller who made a key play on the goal. Setting up on the left half wall, has anyone uh, advocated for Miller to be back on the left half wall? Did you do that lots last week? I believe Jamie Dodd did, and, and Ruff shot him down. Jamie Dodd. I love that guy. <laughs> love that guy. Everyone's been advocating for Miller to go on the left half wall. Now, it was a four-on-three, so a little bit different. But still, um, Miller took a pass from Hughes, then fed a hard pass to an unchecked Besser in front of the net, 
who redirected it at home and Rogers Arena went crazy and I left my glasses there. Um, you dropped them in the toilet, didn't you? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I want to play a little bit of um, Rick Tockett after the game talking about the bench's composure. And hopefully we'll get the part where he singles out Miller in particular mm-hmm. for keeping the guys focused on the process and not freaking out too much, not getting distracted by any bad calls by the referees. Um, it was it would this was a very meaningful comment, I think, from Rick Tockett. And granted it was only one game, but you know, we've been talking about learning lessons all season, and I think the Canucks might have had another positive learning lesson uh, Saturday against the Boston Bruins. Well, the, what I like about it is it's 2 nothing. Maybe the last three, four games, we would, the bench would have been a little different, antsy, a little bit of frustration. Uh, I didn't, you know, slamming sticks and stuff. like that. I didn't see that tonight. You know, it, there wasn't frustration tonight, even though we were down 2 nothing. Maybe that's now we're trying to graduate, you know, to that not that frustration, you know, um, you know, that don't get mad at the refs. Those are the little things that you can't do in playoff time, right? And so we you know we got to start to figure that out now. And I thought tonight was a really good game for us to to not get all those little things, you know, that frustration, all that stuff. So I thought that was big for us tonight. I, I, I'm telling you, the bench was great. I actually thought that was the biggest takeaway of the game was not even the overtime winner, which I think is obviously going to get a lot of play on the TV and everyone's going to talk about that part of it. But the way that they went about uh, the comeback in the third period, very businesslike, very determined, no panic whatsoever. And they had enough reasons to sort of panic. And I want to make this like abundantly clear. I'm not talking about panic like we played the old school clip, like losing their composure and freaking out. But you've seen teams when they push – and when they press to get on the board is a lot of their structure starts to go away or you start gambling where you're not supposed to gamble. You start make, taking chances where you don't. Or you try and do individual plays. A lot of that happens. Yeah, Tockett had the 85-15 rules. Like 85% of the time we know what we should be doing and we have like rules about what we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Then there's the 15% leeway where you can try something. And it's up to the players to figure that out. That ratio can get skewed when you're down 2 nothing. And there's 12 minutes gone in the third period, which is when Besser scored, right? And it just, they, they very systematically went about like, okay, we're going to go out and do what we do and create a chance. And if it doesn't work, guess what's going to happen? Another line's going to come over the board. Another D pair is going to come over the board. We're going to create another chance. We're just going to keep going and going and going and going. That to me was probably the biggest takeaway of the whole thing because they had every reason to go out and push and come out of their shoes and maybe panic a little bit and they didn't and it was great and Miller I know you wanted to talk about this maybe embodied that more than anyone else because I don't know if you're aware of this or not but JT Miller can freak out on occasion yeah uh, we didn't get it in that clip but later on in Tockett's availability he singled out Miller for leading the charge on composure on the bench and I think that's a big deal um, Miller's been Miller's passion has been a polarizing uh, a you know, topic in Vancouver. Nobody's ever doubted the guy's passion and want to win, but I think Tockett has clearly talked to him about not letting it become a distraction or negative force during games. Um, As a leader, you can't be freaking out. 
You can't be losing your mind. You can't just be like, oh, my God, what's going on here? Boys, pull it together. You can't panic. If you're a leader on the team and you're panicking, especially some of the young guys are like, oh, this isn't good. We're not going to win this game. We've got to keep our composure. Yeah. We've got too far. There's too much to lose. We've got to keep our composure. Yeah, that was that was Miller pre-talking. Yeah, that was um, him talking to Colin Delia. <laughs> if you're angry, stay focused and take it out on the other team. Um, I mentioned this earlier, but Miller had two hits on Marsha on Saturday, which was nice to see. That was an unbelievable performance from that guy. Um, the Canucks are now 25-2 and two at good? Rogers Arena. Is that a good record? Seems pretty good. 25-2. 20 Dash five. 20 wins. Yeah, just to be clear. Five and two at Rogers Arena. Um, and it's probably worth noting that they were able to take advantage of a Bruins team that was playing its third game in four nights. If we're going to talk earlier about how the Canucks schedule had been hard on them and still was, frankly, heading into that Bruins game because they'd only had one day off when they had to practice on that game or it was an optional practice. Um, after coming back from that Seattle game, uh, rumor on Press Row had it. Uh, the Bruins had their rookie party planned for the Ooh, night. Ooh, you did do some work on Press Row. Yeah, I love it. I was a gossip. You weren't just leaving <laughs> your glasses there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what's planned for tonight, guys? Yeah, what's going on tonight? We're going to the uh, sevens? Back to the sevens? Uh, so um, the Bruins coach, uh, Jim Montgomery, was pretty upset. He was like, the two goal lead bothers me more than the OT, to be honest. It's a game you should close out. I don't like the way we sat back. We had some costly mistakes that were mental awareness breakdowns and maybe fatigue-related. Again, they were playing their third game in four nights, and they'd been to overtime in Edmonton and Calgary. They won yeah. in Edmonton. They lost in Calgary, and then they lost in Vancouver. But they got – I mean, the Bruins got dominated in that third period. Yes. The shots were 17-5. to five. Like, there's score effects and there's a push. But, I mean, even beyond the statistics, I thought the eye test. Like, they were just – they were hanging on, right? Yeah. Flipping pucks, weren't trying to do anything offensively. They might have been tired, but it's funny. Oh, you got to give the credit, the Canucks credit. Yeah. The back-to-backs thing, this is – I was reading this last night. I couldn't believe this. So, the, just to give you an idea of the back-to-back-to-back, the myth around how tired you are, the Rangers on Saturday – Played their 10th back-to-back of the season. Do you know what their record was in the previous nine? What? They were 9-0-0. What? They hadn't lost a back-to-back all season. Wow. That was the first one that they had lost because they went, whatever, they, they played Philly on Saturday and then they played Columbus on Sunday. And they actually lost to Columbus to snap their 10-game losing streak. But I do think that... Are the Rangers back-to-back like... Um, well, they're we'll different. Play... A lot of them are on yeah, the yeah. Yeah, right there. A lot yeah. of them are on the East Coast. How many of those so games were Jonathan it. Quick games? Um, well, that's I a don't good know. point too. Probably a that's lot. A good point, but too, the, yeah. yeah, like he's and he played last night. He was good, but they mm. kind of got smoked. So did Matt Rempe. So I want to credit a few Canucks um, beyond JT Miller, who, who I mean, might have been the best, most important game he's played as a Canuck in terms of, um, you know, he played physical. Um, he was a key player on all three Canucks goals, and according to Rick Tockett, he was one of the leaders in keeping the guys focused, and that's his job and he was a beast out there. Uh, I thought speaking of beastly performance, Zadorov had a great game after a rough performance in Seattle. <laughs> he was physical. Yeah. He was skating well. He made the great pass to Besser on the first goal. Full credit to, you know, full credit to him. Uh, I also saw him and this is, this is something you don't get on the TV. Mm. This is something you get from the credentialed media. Working journalist. I saw him go up to McAvoy during the game and say something. 
And I don't think it was like, hey, I heard you guys had your rookie party after. Can I come? <laughs> you know, uh, I don't think it was coincidental that McAvoy had buried, I think it was Lafferty in the neutral zone earlier in the game. Yeah, and right. he'd also, you know, McAvoy's a great player, but he's also a pretty physical guy that plays on the edge. And, you know, it wasn't like a pushing and shoving thing, but I think it was probably Zudorov going up to him and being like, hey, man, what's up? I'm bigger than you. Um, I want to, I love Zadorov. I liked him before just kind of watching him because he does things at his size that you don't expect him to do a lot. Like he'll mm-hmm. just go. And I actually, I got, I was working on a theory while I was laid up on IR that I think Tyler Myers has watched him play. And he's like, I'm allowed to do that kind of stuff. Like as yeah. a big guy, I can do those things. And like Zadorov, don't Zadorov's remember. gone up to Tyler Myers, you know, like, you know, you are a big man. <laughs> You got reach. You should try to use size. All right. Okay. I know we're gonna do the accent thing. Let's let's tap the brakes on that for a minute because um, one, I don't want to get canceled so quickly. Two, uh, I do think that for all like it's huge high risk high reward with Zadorov when he does it. Yeah. Right. A hundred percent. And you probably don't want your big at times laborious defenseman doing the kind of things that he does, but. When it works, mm-hmm. it's amazing. And he I is think a good skater for his size. He is, and he's got a ton of skill for his size. I think sometimes it's almost it's just the decision-making that gets him in yeah. trouble. It's not necessarily that he can't pull it off. is that he takes totally. huge risks. Totally. Yeah. But I feel like every time Myers does it, he just gets a penalty, though. Probably, he probably feels very... Uh, Self-conscious about it. I yeah, feel like this like too, random I'm too elbow tall to do this. Yeah, he, like just hits a guy and gets an elbow. I genuinely elbow. I genuinely feel like Myers has watched the door off do some things, and he's like, "Wow, like you know, maybe I could try it too." Who knows? Yeah. Like like a fun like uh, ex- thought I, exercise. I think right? Adam Foot is the one that's been good for Tyler Myers, well, and just uh, and just right. the general system and kind of like having those rules of you know, you talked about the eighty-five percent, fifteen percent with Myers is probably like. Uh, Tyler, ninety-nine percent of the things bump, will be. We're going to bump that up rules. a uh, I thought Elias Lindholm played a really good game as a three C with Garland and Baines on the wing. Baines in there again, playing a f- you know a fairly prominent role given his lack of experience in the NHL. And Tockett singled out Lindholm as well post game. Uh, I'm not sure what will happen when Joshua returns. I'm I'm not sure when. Dakota Joshua will return. Tockett said after the game that it's not any, they're not expecting yeah. him back anytime soon. They could reunite the third line, uh, which would be Joshua, Bluger, and Garland, in case you've forgotten that. But Tuesday against Pittsburgh, I think you'll see Lindholm back in that same spot. And I was thinking about this over the weekend. Um, now, I apologize to Teddy Bluger for thinking this, but okay. – I think Lindholm and Garland played really well. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I also apologize to uh, Baines for this, but okay. can you imagine a third line of Lindholm, Joshua, and Garland in the playoffs? Like in the playoffs? <sighs> that would be pretty good. That would be a big boy line yeah, yeah. that would have a lot of possession. All due um, respect to Teddy Bluger, who's been great yeah, on Yeah, and Baines, line. who I thought, you know, yeah. like, like – Target complimented Baines, too. Yeah. He really likes him. Yeah, yeah. We can, I don't yeah. think he's going anywhere. Put not, it that way. Not for not for not definitely not until Dakota Joshua is back, and then 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 we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we can talk about Baines later in the show, but we've been talking a lot about where Lindholm fits, and there was always that like outside notion, like well maybe he could be the three C, but because you had that third line going so well, it's kind of like yeah, oh, you're not going to mess with that. No, he's got to fit in the top six, and preferably if he fits with. Pedersen, like yeah. that. That's that's how it should go. Now, Petey was on a line with Mikheyev and Hoaglander, and I think 
that line looked pretty good too. Petey's got to stick with Hoaglander. That's what I. Def- that, that's I, the one definitely. thing I kind of came to the realization. I'm like those two yeah. work together. So the wild card in there is Mikheyev, and Taka was asked after about Mikheyev, and he was like, "Yeah, I thought he was okay today, but he's got you know he's got to keep doing what he's doing uh, in that game, and uh, less of what he was doing in all the other games, which was pretty much nothing." Uh, Petey did make a couple of dynamic plays, and he set up Zadora for a prime scoring chance in the second. Uh, I'm not going to throw him a parade or anything because he still didn't look completely comfortable with the puck on a stick, especially early in the game. But hopefully, hopefully that was progress. And, you know, I think you make a good point. Hopefully the duo that can really work if we're talking about duos is Petey and Hoaglander, who I thought had his moments as well. Like Zadorov had a good scoring chance in the first two thirds of the game. And Hoaglander had a good scoring chance in the first two thirds of the game. And there really wasn't much outside of that before the Canucks really started to dominate in the third. Like they had shots and they were probably outplaying the Bruins at five on five, but they didn't really make it hard on Swayman until the third period. Uh, David Amber is going to join us and we're going to talk a little bit about what Elliot Friedman had to say on headlines uh, on the over the weekend about Elias Pettersson and Elliot's report that teams are calling on the Vancouver Canucks and going, hey, uh, what's up with that Pettersson guy? Mm-hmm. And the Canucks are apparently saying, we're trying to sign him. Nothing. Trying, Look over there. Bothering us. We're trying to sign we're him. We're trying to sign him. Trying as opposed to uh, we're going to sign him. He's a, <laughs> We're trying to sign him. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. Although, granted, those were just Elliot's words. Uh, you're listening to the Alfred and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. And I tried to get out of there so quickly that I forgot my glasses on press row. Well, I'll let you know if your glasses turn up. Uh, yes, well, I'm sure I left them on press row. No one must know I dropped them in the toilet. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. But one of the things I think that has developed over the last couple of weeks in Vancouver is the amount of noise around Pedersen. And I think what that has led to is teams calling the Canucks and saying, what exactly is going on here and could he be available? 6.32 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 6.50. Halford Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are in hour one of the program. David Amber, Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet NHL host, is going to join us in just a moment here. The highlight of hour one. Uh, hour one of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go, the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. The first call, the only call. He joins us every Monday on this program. David Amber now from Sportsnet. Hockey Night Canada NHL host joins us on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, David. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing today? Uh, We are well. We are still kind of buzzing from the weekend and the big win Saturday for the Vancouver Canucks over the Boston Bruins in overtime. So I know this is a big question and you might not have the entire Canucks schedule in terms of wins at the ready, but in terms of importance, where would you rank that third period comeback and 
the subsequent OT win for the Canucks on Saturday in terms of victories they've had this season. I'll give you a couple of options. There was the 8-1 win to open the season against Edmonton. That was a pretty big one. There's when they beat the Leafs back on January 20th to avenge an earlier loss to the Leafs. They did the same at Madison Square Garden against the Rangers after previously losing to the Rangers. This one against Boston had similar vibes because they had lost to Boston earlier. But given the four-game win uh, losing streak and the way that they were able to snap it, it was a pretty important win. Just curious where you think this one ranks in terms of biggest wins this year for the Canucks. It definitely was incredibly important. Uh, I might go off the board, although I liked, I liked your Ranger call. I believe that was a Monday night, and that, that was a really big win, I remember, at the time uh, as well, an impressive win. I'm going off the board. I'm going to say the second game of the season. The 8-1 win to open the season was huge. And then what did everyone say, myself included, on shows? All right, well, we're going to see the real Edmonton. Oh, you know, they obviously were taking the Canucks lightly. And what did Vancouver go and do? I think they won 4-3 to or 5-4. to I don't remember the exact score. But they were in Edmonton and back-to-back. And that's when I sort of said, hmm, that's interesting. Like, that was some pushback. This was supposed to be a guaranteed win night for Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. So, I, to me, that I marked that down in my head as, like, this could be the sign that there's something there for the Vancouver Canucks this season. So, um, that win on Saturday was huge, though, because it just stopped the bleeding uh, it gets a bit of the confidence back. Uh, you know, it, the team played well. The team had played well during part of this four-game losing streak, but to finally get rewarded for some of their good play. And they also had had some some off moments as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it was a big win. So it's right up there. Yeah. I, I mean, they had not played well in the game before in no. Seattle. Um, but you're right. I mean, there were times during the losing streak where they played okay especially at five on five but uh, there were a lot of things that ticked boxes in that win over the Bruins first of all there was a bit of the revenge factor as the Bruins had shut them out for nothing um, just not too long ago uh, and it looked like it might happen again you know for for two-thirds of that game the Canucks weren't creating much and it looked like every save for Swayman was easy and they kept their composure at home, staring down a five game losing streak. Um, I like, you know, I like your shout about the second game over the Edmonton Oilers, but I think that was the biggest, biggest win of the season. Just how happy Rick Tockett was mm-hmm. after the game. Um, did you think that Elias Lindholm um, fit better centering his own line? So they had Pedersen as one center Miller as another center, and then Lindholm as the three C. Yeah, I think there that could be a good fit for him. I, I think just from a philosophical standpoint, when you look at Stanley Cup caliber teams, they definitely like to have that depth up the middle. And you have, you know, you don't want to characterize your lines completely, but what you do is you you add depth and you add balance. And maybe Lindholm fits better in that in that sort of situation. He's a very responsible two-way center. So there'll be a level of trust there. And I think when you're talking about Rick Pocket, a lot comes down to who do I trust to be out there at the most pivotal times. And that's why he's loved his third line. You know, I called I call them the lifeline because I saw that somewhere. And I don't know if it's stuck. I don't know if that's what people are calling them in Vancouver. But, um, you know, that third line has been so good this year before the injuries And I think you want to have a level of confidence and security when you put players out there 
whatever the, the situation is, up a goal, down a goal, et cetera, time of game, et cetera. And Lindholm, I think, provides some of that. So maybe he feels a little bit more autonomy and a little bit more, you know, empowerment being there centering his own line as opposed to, um, you know, being up in the top six with some of those other players. So let me ask, ask you a behind-the-scenes question here, David. Um, before Elliot does his headlines, does he – joke around to the rest of the group and go like get a load of what I've got on the Canucks tonight because uh, <laughs> they might come back and win this game but they're they're just going to be talking about this report on Elias Pettersson and the report was that uh, teams are starting to call the Canucks mm-hmm. on Pettersson and going hey what's going on here and the Canucks are according to Elliot Freeman replying uh, nothing we're just trying to sign this guy and I think the operative word for me, and granted this is from Elliot, not like verbatim from the Canucks or anyone else, that, hey, we're, try- we're trying to sign Pedersen. We don't want to trade him. Mm-hmm. We're trying to sign him. There's a, lot of the, there's a lot of difference between trying to sign him and, yeah, it's, you know, don't even bother with this. Like, we're signing this guy. Yeah, I mean – Listen, Elliot, by the way, like he knows when he's going to drop, you know, an Elliot bomb out there. He knows when it's going to be like, oh, wow. Uh, and, you know, there's certain markets where when you bring up any type of scuttlebutt, it's going to be met with a little bit more interest and excitement than, hey, this is what I'm hearing about Columbus or the Anaheim Ducks. OK, well, that's fine. But when it's Vancouver, when it's Toronto, when it's Ottawa, you know, there's a certain level of fandom there attached to those markets. So he, he's he's well aware uh, of what some of those reports mean. Um, you know, I think timing's a big part of this. Had Pedersen gotten signed, sealed, and delivered before Nylander, maybe the number's a little different. I'm sure J.P. Barry and the CAA agency took note of, okay, well, if William Nylander's getting, a, what, 11-5, I believe, right? Uh, you know, Pedersen's younger. Pedersen can play center. Pedersen kills penalties. Uh, those are three pretty good check marks. Um, you know, Pedersen, you could argue, as good as Nylander is, Pedersen scores a lot of his goals in that five, six, seven foot radius in front of the net. He will go to tough places that, you know, William Nylander in open space is a top five player in the league. But, you know, sometimes when there's not that space, that's not going to be where you're going to find 88 on Toronto. So, you know, 11.5 million for him. So what's my guy worth? That's, that might have played into this as well. And what Vancouver is obviously trying to do is mitigate as much of the cost as possible. So where we might end up, and I'm just snowballing, throwing this out there, what if we end up at 12, 5, 8 years, so you get your cool $100 million, mm-hmm. you know, Connor McDavid deal. Like, to me, that's what would make most sense, maybe. It's like, Pedersen, for where he is, you get him for all of his, all of his best years in his prime, uh, what he offers, what he brings to the table. That's that seems like a good, nice round number that I think the team can can bear and that the player could love. So, yeah, can you look? Can you bear it in Vancouver though? That is that's the big question for all of us here. We we don't really mm-hmm. talk about the money side of it too much because from what we've heard, the Canucks are more than willing. To, like they're not trying to grind Petey on a contract. They just mm-hmm. want to get the guy under contract um, yes. the question the big question I think that everyone has is not so much about like coming together on the right number and the right term it's whether he wants to be here at all 
Yeah, I mean, you guys could speak much more to that than I, I can. I, I don't know if we I can. Agree. I don't know, honestly, but I don't know if we can. Like, I'm not saying that y- you can speak well yeah. on it, but, like, I don't know what Petey's thinking because he never talks. No, and, and all I've heard is he's sort of his own guy. Um, and you can read that a lot of ways. But, you know, what's there not to love about Vancouver as a city and the situation? And, you know, when you hear that notion of, oh, some guys don't want the spotlight, some guys, you know, want to just go about their business, leave the rink, and, you know, Matthew Kachuk didn't want to be hassled in Calgary. He wants to go and golf and be on the beach and do, which I totally get. Um, the art, the opposite argument to that is if you win, you win in Vancouver, it's different than winning in Florida or winning in Anaheim, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you're a god forever uh, in that city when you, when you find success. And even if you don't win everything, even just getting, you know, to the final is met with, you know, it's embraced on a level that you can't even understand in the non-traditional markets. And I'm not saying that's what would be the driving force of what Pedersen wants, but I just think the upside in the Canadian markets and the strong, strongest U.S. markets is a little different than the upside in the non-traditional hockey markets. It just is. Um, and I think in Vancouver, that's the conversation you're in right now. It'd be a very different conversation a year ago when the Canucks were missing the playoffs and it was, you know, what's going on and the instability and all this. You know, they've turned the corner from that narrative. Mm-hmm. And this is a team that's, you know, a Stanley Cup contender and conceivably could be for the next little while based on where the players are. So uh, it's pretty enticing to me. I don't know what's driving Pedersen, but you're right. There is that gray area of like, well, why isn't it getting done? If the dollars isn't the problem of what is slowing this down. Uh, David, have the Toronto Maple Leafs turned a corner in a sense this season? Seven straight wins, five of them without Morgan Riley, and they let everyone know that Morgan Riley wasn't there, and they were rallying around Mo. Uh, and then he comes back, and they get a couple more wins and impressive wins at that. Yeah, um, longest winning streak in twenty years for the Maple Leafs. So there's that. Um, you know what's funny? We're heading towards the March 8th trade deadline. And once Riley took that suspension and there were thoughts the Leafs were about to just fall apart at the seams. They hadn't been playing very well. And they're about to enter a five-game stretch without their best defenseman. People say, well, this is going to really shape what happens at trade deadline for the Maple Leafs. If they went one and four, you know, even two and three, and we're, you know, in the middle of the wild card mix, it'd be a very different you know, conversation. Uh, seven straight wins. Now all the chatter here in Toronto is like, all right, what are the Leafs going to do? Are they giving up a first? Are they giving up their top prospects? <laughs> like, People are back on that sort of Stanley Cup bandwagon um, about where this team is. They did play a much more disciplined you know, game of hockey uh, without Morgan Riley because they had to. Uh, and then they had two impressive road wins in Colorado and Vegas, which is not easy by any account. And it has been impressive. I don't know what else to say. It's been an impressive run. I think what we're witnessing is when the Leafs play their best hockey, they are an exceptional team. The real issue with the Maple Leafs is it hasn't been on a consistent basis. And then you don't know what to believe. And because of their playoff history with this core group, you know, the pessimists are obviously going to say, well, it's smoke and mirrors and they're not doing it consistently. We know what's going to happen come playoff time. And that's a fair, you know, that's a fair argument to make, but it's enticing when you're, you know, in Leafs management or, you know, you're in this core group and you're with these players yeah. and you're kind of saying it's enticing when they play their best hockey, they can win a championship. I mean, they really could, fellas. It's just they would need some parts there. The blue line is still not what a, it's on a Stanley Cup caliber blue line. 
we're we're seeing you know the most prolific scoring we've seen in 30 years from a player in, in Austin Matthews. So you know they do have some elements, but they also need to have some more elements with that team. So I'm really interested to see what's going to happen over the next 10 days. Brad Trey, I mean, uh, he's going to be one of the key players in all this. Whether he does something or doesn't do something, it's going to be talked about. Uh, at length here in Toronto, for sure. Yeah, and it feels like every night there's just like another big game on the slate, including tonight. We've got one that I think a lot of fans will be paying attention to, Kings and Oilers from Edmonton. Mm. Uh, so with that, David, we'll let you go. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Monday. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, you too. Thanks. That's David Amber, Sportsnet Hockey Night Canada NHL host here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Yeah. It's almost every night now that there's going to be at least one game that you're paying attention to on the out-of-town scoreboard tonight. Edmonton, L.A. will be paying attention to that one. To dovetail this conversation back into the Vancouver Canucks, though, we've spoken a lot about Elliot Friedman's remarks on Saturday during the intermission about Elias Pettersson and teams calling General Manager Patrick Alvine and President of Hockey Ops Jim Rutherford asking, hey, what's going on here? What's happening with Petey? The answer from the Canucks has been... We are trying to sign the guy. And they hang up the phone. That last bit I just kind of interpreted. That's how that it went. But yeah. um, Friedman, Very dramatically. They just slam the phone. Even like though no, phone one talks on a, yeah, no one talks on a Rutherford and Alvin are just like, but just for fun, let's say we can't. <laughs> Click. <laughs> anyway, uh, Friedge followed up with a little bit more expansive thoughts in the latest 32 Thoughts podcast. We've got the audio right here. Uh, this is about a three, three-and-a-half-minute clip, so it's a lot of time. Jason and I are going to take a nap. Here's what Frege had to say, expanding on Saturday's report about teams calling the Canucks on Elias Pettersson. I really do believe what we talked about on Friday's pod, which is that I don't know if there's actually been an, like an actual offer here. And again, I'm not interested in discrediting anyone else. I can't find any proof that there was an actual offer, but I do believe that he knows that they're going to throw a ton of money at him and they've discussed it conceptually. I just think that every day this goes where Pedersen doesn't commit, other teams are not doing their jobs if they don't call and say, what's going on here? Like that's that's part of what this is. And I do believe that other teams have called and said, what's going on here? And the Canucks have said, look, we're trying to sign them. But I just think, again, I think that's just the best way to put it. The fact that there's no clarity leads to, we should call and find out what's going on here. And that's what I think is happening. The the other thing I think that is important here is like that Vancouver team had a hell of a win the other day, like a really impressive, that was a big win against Boston and JT Miller in particular was fantastic. I think, I, I think that that is a, a team led by Rutherford and Tockett that can handle this. I don't think they're thrilled that a, he's not signed and B, this is news but I think they're both really experienced. Like Jim Rutherford has seen everything. And Rick Tockett has seen everything. And I think they are really capable of handling the noise as well as anybody could. You know, I, I've said this to you before. Rutherford always wanted to be a GM in a Canadian market. 
And I think he loves this. I, I do. I think he really enjoys it. I think he enjoys the passion. I think he enjoys that he's somewhere where it really matters. And I think he can handle this. And I think that will get them through whatever happens here. But teams are calling them and saying, what's going on and where's this going? Now, the other thing that I should mention here is I did hear something else about Vancouver that was interesting. I don't think Vancouver's out of anything out there. Like, it's just the way Rutherford is. But I heard they're not interested in giving up everything they're going to have to give up for two rentals. And so I think if they, you know, just because they gave up what they did to get Lindholm, if they have to give up another package to get something good, I don't think it's going to be a rental unless they know they can sign that person. That's the other thing I heard about them. They're If they're going to have to do what it takes to do something not small, it's, some, it's someone that they want to keep. That's the other thing I heard about them. I'm really reading into those uh, dramatic pauses by Frege. The longer the pause, I'm like, oh, what does this mean? Why is he pausing so much? What is he not saying? <laughs> I think he's he's like choosing his words very carefully. Oh yes, like Elias Pettersson does, yes. because he knows how uh, touchy this subject is in Vancouver. Uh, lots of texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line, and we've got an open segment on the other side where we can answer your uh, comments or questions into the Dunbar Lumber text line. There's a lot to discuss based on the latest. If you think that's newsworthy on Pettersson, the teams are starting to call. On PD and the Canucks are saying, look, we're trying to sign the guy. We're trying. Uh, we can talk more about the um, the Bruins game on Saturday, which was a terrific game um, and an uh, outstanding um, and focused and resilient comeback by the Canucks ultimately winning it on the power play in overtime. It kind of checked all the boxes. Power play, yeah. Bruins, yeah. Mm-hmm. Comeback, great. JT Miller, incredible. Um, so there is a ton to discuss with us. Plus we can get into some of the other NHL stories. The, uh, the Edmonton Oilers aren't playing particularly well. Lost six of their um, last 10. Let's talk about the playoff picture in the East, because there's actually now quite a sizable gap between the teams that are in the playoffs and the teams that are outside the playoffs. You actually have to look at the Metro division. That's the one that everyone's gunning for. The, yeah, the wildcard yeah. teams, are they're cooking right now. Um, here's a text in unsigned. Really starting to see Pedersen being an offer sheet target this summer. Who has the picks needed to even attempt it? I haven't thought much about PD as an offer sheet target just because I think the Canucks would just match. They'd be like, yeah, probably. Yeah, we'll, we'll match it. And then PD, listen, if PD, if, if, if. If he doesn't want to be here, he's probably not going to sign an offer sheet because then he knows that the Canucks should be like, we're going to match this. Offer then- sheet does the negotiating for you as an executive. Yeah. That was the great Montreal, Sebastian Ajo, mm-hmm. Carolina thing. Is The Carolina said, awesome, thanks. Thanks. We match this. And- you saved us a month's worth of work. Now yeah. we can go to the beach. That was <laughs> yeah. it. Well, exactly, right? Yeah, I think what you'd like, you'd more likely to see is Pedersen say like, all right, I'll accept my one-year qualifying offer and then uh, toodaloo. <laughs> you know, and then at, at that point, you're just like, well, we got to trade him. That other texture, is it possible Alvin leaked it to Frege that other teams are calling about PD in order to pressure PD's camp into signing? 
I don't. Could think... there be some forty chess going on in the background? Here? Well, I don't think it's forty chess. I just think it, look. I think this is all just like what's happening because he isn't signed. Yeah, yeah. the The idea and the concept of not wanting to talk about it and focusing just on hockey. It's a novel approach. I applaud the you know the the idea behind it. Right. I mean, in a very naive Pollyanna esque world, that's great. Like, I love the. It seems real genuine and, and earnest that all you want to do is just play hockey. But the reality is it's impossible to do because there's so many different fingers in the pie. And it's not mm-hmm. even just the Canucks. Other teams know that they can mess with the situation simply by picking up the phone, lobbying a call to the Canucks, and then subsequently hanging up the phone. Again, I'm doing the rotary dialing thing. Picking the phone back up and then being like, hey, Fridge, guess what? I just called about Elias Petter. <laughs> I mean, that's how the game works. I don't know what to tell you. That's, I mean, there are executives out there that will do things just to mess with the situation. Mm -hmm. It happens. Now, some people are saying, well, what if another team throws 14 million per season at PD in an offer sheet? The Canucks wouldn't match that. Maybe not. You take, what do you get, like eight first round picks at that point? Yeah, yeah, maybe not. Who who knows how, how this plays out. But all I'm saying is, I don't see it playing out that way because. The risk would be there for Petey that if he doesn't want to be here, that the Canucks do match that. You're still gambling on, yes. you know, on that situation. So you lose control know, of the process a little bit. To be honest, you think you're controlling yeah, the process. You think you're controlling it, but you're not. It's easier to just be like, yeah, okay, I'll take my qualifying offer, and then I'm a UFA in a year. Do you want to? How do you want to let that play out? Right there's, and this is why you know I push back on Dollywall on Friday when. Um, he said, you know, he kind of reiterated the spin that PD's under club control. He's he's really not, and we saw that play out in the Kachuk situation. We play that out, uh, played out under, under with Dubois in Winnipeg, um, you know. But the the spin that he's under club control really works for both sides. Like they've almost like both agreed. Okay, this is what we say, right? Mm-hmm. In the meantime. Um, because it works for the Canucks to say, don't worry, like it's not, it, it doesn't have to get done before the trade deadline or anything. Like he's under club control and it works for the Pedersen camp too, because they don't want people talking about it at all. Um, and I'm always like, kind of like, mm, if it works for both sides and they're both saying it, then what are they kicking the can down the road to? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, Text in any questions or comments. Doesn't just have to be about Petey. I, th- I want to talk more about that game because it was a really fun game. Um, what do you think about the Lindholm as the 3C? What do you think about that going forward? Because I thought he looked really good with Connor Garland and Baines on that line. What do you think about Baines? Is he with the club now? I think we've got some Rick Tockett audio on Beans that we can play in the next segment. So plenty to discuss. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Le- in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Butis in Vancouver, online at DunbarLumber.com. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.